welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And on this episode, get out your sand chairs because it's the cruise intrusion, all part two. Yeah. Scott Reynolds era, part one. <laughs> That's right. It's just getting even more confusing. No, no, it's perfectly clear. That's right. We've got a Scott Reynolds era, all edition, two-parter. And uh, I'm super excited to have Scott on the show. I love all of all, but I've made it no secret that Scott is my favorite of the three vocalists in the band. And that's no slight to Dave or Chad, obviously. Our listeners heard me gush about Dave on our last Cruise Intrusion episode. And I love all those records. And you can't deny that that Chad is an insane vocalist and those records rule it just so happens, though, that the Scott records are the ones that sunk in deepest for me. They're the ones I got first, the ones I've listened to the most, um, the ones I still to this day love to sing along with the most. But again, it's just so incredible that all they attracted three insane vocalists yeah. in a row. Yeah. This, ba this band, this, this unit, this thing. And just three amazing songwriters, too. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, right? And the interview with Scott, though, is just amazing. So just hang in there. You're going to hear Brant go full high school when uh, <laughs> when Scott is describing the trailblazer. Um, I think I think Brant kind of lost it a bit during that part, but uh, it's all good. It's all fair. Yeah. Uh, but there's so many amazing nugs mm -hmm. in that interview. So many nugs. But first, Brant. The Spiels. Take yeah. it away. Well, you know, like apologies to our listeners who've come for the Spiels. For starters, uh, we have a lot to get to this, this week. So, um, you know, like Ryan said, we've decided to split this into two parts, including the interview is going to be in two parts. Mm -hmm. um, so in another three episodes, we'll be coming back with part two of the Scott Reynolds era, era which is part three of our... Uh, Cruise intrusion into all. Uh, but also life's been nuts lately, so I don't have a ton to sh spiel about anyways. A few quick podcast shout-outs for those who missed. Bill Stevenson was a guest on The Vinyl Guide. Yeah, right. Talking about Milo's recent health scare, the band's upcoming tour of Australia, and he mentions a new Descendants album is like half in the can. They're just waiting for Bill to finish some of his songs because he doesn't have any songs on so far on the new album but he says something like he's got 50 half finished songs or 50 choruses or 50 ideas mm. i can't remember how he describes it but bill can tell it better than me so check it out it's great by sheer coincidence i listened to two podcasts about steve albini this week oh cool yeah i sometimes check out andy richter's podcast if he has interesting guests because he's really good at interviewing um his show is called the Three Questions with Andy Richter, and he recently had Steve Albini on the show. They're both obviously super smart guys. They talk a lot about the kind of fertile Chicago improv comedy scene. Mm, yep. And uh, draw some parallels to the punk kind of aesthetic, I guess, between punk rock and improv comedy. It's really a great conversation. Another show I check out from time to time if the topic interests me, is The Guardian Long Read. As in The Guardian newspaper, they have journalists read long-form pieces published in The Guardian. And 
journalist Jeremy Gordon recently read his piece titled The Evolution of Steve Albini. If the dumbest person is on your side, you're on the wrong side. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of all about Steve reassessing some of the more inflammatory or offensive things he's, he's said over the years and kind of owning it. And yeah, yeah, it's really good. To his credit, he's done that a lot in the last five years or so, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Like, no excuses, just um, I was wrong. Yeah. And that's refreshing, because nobody does that. Totally. Yeah. What do you have, Ryan? That's it? Well, we kind of said we had to keep them short so we could get to the... Oh, I've I've got a long one. But I'm going to say it really fast, because I've got a lot of what else? Rock docs, books, and tunes to check out. So, get out your pen. I think we've mentioned this one before, but the I, I'm starting to see more advertisements about it. The Red Cross documentary, Born Innocent, the Red Cross story. Following the band's history, especially the brothers Jeff and Steve McDonald, this documentary makes the case that Red Cross are the seminal U.S. West Coast band of the last half century. I know it's going to be a really cool documentary. Who doesn't love Red Cross? It has members of Sonic Youth, L7, Black Flag, Melvin's, Sebado, um, all professing their undying love for the band. As with many of these, I don't know where I am going to eventually see it, but I'm going to keep my eye out for that one. Another one making its rounds and definitely, most definitely on the SS tree is a new rock doc out on PBS. And and I watched it uh, this weekend and I highly, highly recommend it. I loved it. It's called Chinatown Punk Wars. In the late 1970s, two Chinese restaurants became the unlikely epicenter of L.A.'s burgeoning punk scene, Madame Wong's and the Hong Kong Cafe. As told by interviews with Keith Morris, John Doe, Alice Bagg, many, many others. It's a great history lesson on what it was like to find a venue in one of these punk bands back then, how meaningful they were, what that community was like. The documentary also taps into race and gender and in the L.A. punk scene in the late 1970s. It's just killer. There's also a great segment on East L.A. punk bands and the the Latino presence in the punk scene, talking about the Stains, the Brat, Los Illegals, uh, that venue, the Vex. Uh, This documentary is available on PBS, SoCal, KCET, part of that Artbound series, similar to the Minneapolis punk documentaries on PBS that cover Husker Du and the replacements. And speaking of free punk documentary series online on YouTube and the East LA punk scene, be sure to check out the series put up by Razor Cake, East Side Punks. There's four episodes. Episode one is on The Undertakers, episode two on The Brat, episode three on The Stains, and episode four on Nervous Gender. Just killer. And finally, another rock doc I want to mention is Pretty Ugly, the story of the Lunachicks. Oh. It's it's officially being released November 10th. Love the Lunachicks. One of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. They were just so, so amazing. The book on the band's good, too. Yeah, I haven't checked it out. I Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but I have it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to check out this documentary, Fallopian though. Rhapsody, I think, actually. <laughs> Don't don't quote me on that, right? (laughs) Anyways, for those who don't know, the Lunachicks, all-girl underground band from NYC, discovered by Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore, just a killer band in the 90s, a great string of 
records. Uh, mine and my wife's favorite record by them is Jerk of All Trades. We can always put that record on and bop around the house. Um, but that's going to be a great documentary. And as with the Red Cross one, I don't know where I'm ever going to be able to pick it up, but I'm, I'm keeping my eye out for that one. Okay, books. Here we go. I got two. Um, the first one is called My Punk Rock Life, The Photography of Marla Watson. Marla's an L.A. photographer covering rare, hardcore punk photography from the early 80s in L.A. and the U.K. Alongside Ed Culver, Alison Braun, Glenn E. Friedman, uh, Marla is now contributing to that wave of photos that are being unearthed and uh, put out for everyone to enjoy, thankfully. Apparently, there's over 300 pictures that have been sitting in a box for about 40 years to come out in this one. And it's got all the bands, right? Minuteman, Misfits, The Damned, Descendants, DOA. This is coming out on Earth Island Books. Got to get that one. Mm. And then I missed this one a couple of years ago, but I had to mention it because I know I've mentioned in the last year or so a couple of books that collect Raymond Pettibone's Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. um, this this is one. <laughs> this is one called uh, "My Fists Are Free." 186 Twitter poems by Raymond Pettibone. This was actually out in 2021. I didn't mention it. I didn't know about it. I uh, just discovered it. Almost 400 pages of Raymond Pettibone poems from 2012 to 2016. Apparently, there's one about playing golf with Trump and O.J. Simpson. And guess what? They're both cheaters <laughs> when, uh, when Raymond Pettibone is uh, Twittering about them. That's out on PCP Press. Check that one out. And then music. Uh, you know I like the band Slift. They got signed to Sub Pop, which is awesome. They got a new record out in January called Ilian. Uh, double LP. Love Slift. Uh, can't wait to check that out. You know I love Super Chunk. There's a new singles collection box set coming out. Following in the tradition of their Tossing Seeds, Incidental Music, and Cup of Sand collections. Um, this is a four LP or two CD set called Misfits and Mistakes, Singles, B-Sides, and Strays from 2007 to 2023. Uh, looks to be, you know, basically all of the stuff that they're putting out on singles up until uh, John Worcester left the band. And with all of these Super Chunk collections, this one's going to be essential. Can't wait to check that out. And then finally, Brant, going through this as fast as I can, I don't know who's on first, but... Watt's on base. Watt is definitely on base. The jump-started Plowhards have got their second album coming out called mm. Round Two. Uh, this is Mike Watt, and I'm going to mispronounce this, Todd Congelier. This is out in digital now but soon out on vinyl on Recess Records. This is the follow-up to 2019's Round 1, which was a cool record. I, I actually, when I saw Round 2 was being released digitally, I went back. It's been a while, I'll admit, since I listened to the first Jump Started Plowhards record. That's a good combo, and so I'm looking forward to checking out Round 2 uh, when it comes out in physical. I haven't checked out the digital. But more Watts on bass? Yes, please. Nice. That's it, man. Nice speed round. I try, I try. You know, I've got a lot. You know, when we're not doing it every week, yeah. you know what happens, man. Spiel log. Spiel log. Anyways, let's get into my favorite era of the band all. History lesson, part one. All right, so, Cruise Intrusion, All Edition, part two, Scott Reynolds era, part one. Yeah. We left off last with the band all, where Dave Smalley, he was on as a guest, 
as well. Go back and check that show out. Um, but he decided to leave the band. I think it was maybe, you know, a bit much all at once for Dave. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness, uh, Scott Reynolds was sleeping in the parking lot. Yeah. So here are the releases we'll be cramming in for this, for discussion on this episode. Cruise 005, the She's My Ex EP, 1989. Cruise 006, All Roy's Revenge, also 1989. Cruise 10, Trailblazer, the live album, 1989. Cruise 11, All Roy Saves, 1990. And Cruise 16, Tony All, New Girl, Old Story, 1991. Yeah, five releases in three years. Yeah. Uh, So obviously everybody knows the core of all. uh, Bill Stevenson, Stefan Egerton, Carl Alvarez. Sometime... I believe late fall 1988, still not 100% confirmed when, following a tour with Chemical People, Dave Smalley decides to leave the band and Scott joins. Uh, Scott's going to mention, I I believe he says it's his first show, you'll hear in the interview. I couldn't find any listing for it, uh, but we are talking 34 years ago, so uh, either way, their second full-length album, All Roy's Revenge, is listed as being recorded December 88 and January of 89. So, you know, Scott was definitely in the band in December, if not sooner, mm-hmm. of 88. Yep. Yep. Cruise 005, the She's My Ex single, and 006, All Roy's Revenge, both came out sometime around April 1989, and then they hit the road. And they hit it hard, close to 200 shows in 1989, lots with chemical people, several Canadian dates, and in the fall, over to Europe. One show at CBGB's on July 18th was recorded and released in 1989 as Cruise 10 Trailblazer. They went out in early 1990 on the Trailblazer tour with Big Drill Car, also dipping back into Canada. There are no recording dates listed on their next album, which would be their third full-length, Cruise 11, All Roy Saves, released sometime around August 1990. The All Roy Saves tour took them back to Europe throughout October, November 1990, and then down under for the All Roy Over Australia tour in December 1990, January 1991. During the same sessions, for All Roy Saves, they also recorded the Tony All record New Girl Old Story, which came out as Cruise 16. It's listed as being recorded March 1990, so I assume that's roughly when Saves was done, because they were done at the same time. Yep. It was released in August 1991, so close to a year after All Roy Saves. We'll discuss a bit more in detail following the interview, but for those who don't know, the concept of the Tony All record uh, was was All backing former Descendants bassist Tony Lombardo on songs he had written between 1979 and 1989. Immediately following the release of All Roy Saves, they moved to a small town of Brookfield, Missouri, population 5,500. But we'll get more into that in part three of our, our trip into cruise. I had a zillion questions for Scott, and he was very patient with me. We've talked for two and a half hours, and he probably could have kept going. You'll hear a few other people mentioned in the interview. I'm sure everybody listening to this knows, but just 
for some context. Daniel Bugface Snow was stage manager for the Descendants in all. Uh, rest in peace, he passed away last year. Mike the Pike Moen was roadie for all and later bandmate of Scott's in Goodbye Harry. That's really a, a quick overview of kind of the first part of the Scott Reynolds story. Let's throw it over to Scott, though, because he, he can tell it way better than I can. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Scott Reynolds. Scott, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. How do I sound, by the way? Because you're using a fancy microphone. You sound great. All right, because I have a microphone, but I don't want to hook it up. Yep, no, you sound good. Okay. Okay, take me back. Are you from Fredonia, New York, and am I pronouncing that right? Yes and yes. Where in New York is that located? Uh, it's basically Buffalo. It's western mm. New York. Okay. Like a, is it a small town? Very. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's about, well, in the area there's probably, like Fredonia and Dunkirk are right together and there's probably 25,000 people. Mm. So did you like go into Buffalo a lot? Um, back in the old days, yeah. But I mean, I moved away for a lot of years. Mm. So okay. I'm just back now because because I am. But yeah. you went you went all through high school in Fredonia. Yeah. Okay, did you have a band in high school? Yeah, I played with my brother in a band called The Creeps. Hmm. And we did I played drums. Mostly we played like old Kinks songs yep. and Stones and shit like that. And then I got into I started listening to the punk rock stuff and started up punk rock band in college hmm. but in high school i didn't play punk rock music. you didn't sing in in the creeps no, no i played drums but i hated playing drums so i decided to start singing when did you get the inkling that you could write songs when i was like 10 i would write them on the piano but then i never really thought much about it as far as a band goes and then then in college, yeah, in college I had a band called XXY, and I started writing songs for them on, on the piano. Hmm. So that's when I really actually started really writing songs, you know. And yeah. then uh, then I moved out to Los Angeles and was playing in a band called Three Car Pileup, and none of them could learn my piano songs. So I said, well, you better learn how to play guitar. So then I started fucking around with a guitar, and that's when I started doing that, you know. Okay. What kind of band was XXY? It was a punk rock band. You know, my music's my music thing hasn't changed much over the years. I mean, it's, it's my approach to music or anything mm -hmm. really hasn't changed. So it was, I would say it was a more primitive version of what I do now, which is, sort of i guess i have a lot of different kind of musical influences punk rock was just kind of my on-ramp to being able to write songs and play but mm -hmm. i'm not like like i like a lot of punk rock bands but i like a lot of stuff and i always did so mm -hmm. you know punk rock you know i heard the ramones i heard like doa and yeah and e e sex pistols and, and and the minute all the sst bands and then you know of course of course, the descendants, uh, and it just was like, oh, I, I could. That's probably where I need to be if I'm going to play music. Mm -hmm. I need to be a punk rock guy. Where know? Where did you go to college? I went to college, Allegheny College. It's uh, 
just north of Pittsburgh. Okay. Did XXY play shows? Yeah, but I mean, Not- we played at the Electric Banana in Pittsburgh, and then we play at somebody's fraternity house or wherever they let us play. Mm-hmm. But you know, wasn't great. It wasn't great music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after who was in Three Car Pileup? Is it like kind of the? I'm trying to get from uh, Three Car Pileup to Boxer Rebellion. Okay, so Boxer Rebellion was before Three Car Pileup. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so here's the story. I was playing music. I had this band in college called XXY. And then I came back home to this little town. And the summer after I graduated from college, my best friend Dana and I started a punk rock band. He was going, he was a, a, he was going to medical school and, uh, or was, he was pre-med in college and it was in between before he went to medical school that summer. And he wanted to call it local trauma, which is a medical term. So we had a band called local trauma and then that became another band after he went away to medical school and I was still, but anyway, we, he was a very, very, very big descendants fan. And we really liked Milo goes to college and all that shit. Milo goes to college is still in my top 10 records ever, you know? And so because he was such a fan, he used to get, um, Back then, you'd get you get on bands mailing lists, and you get actual physical mail in the in your mailbox. So he would get, and we you get newsletters and shit like that. So he get got a newsletter from the Descendants that said Tony Lombardo, the original bass player, was looking for a singer. So uh, Dana was always real um, supportive of me, and so he's like, "You're the best singer. You should call him." Because I, I, by then I was singing, not playing drums. Uh, you should call this number, call Tony Lombardo, and say, you know, you want to try out for his band. So I did, um, and uh, we. It was funny because we were at an, a Descendant show. It was on the Enjoy tour, uh, at, and outside the show, it was at a VFW hall. I used the payphone, and I opened, and I had the thing. And I called him, and I he answered, and I said, "Hi, uh, I'm I'm Scott." I called him Tony Lombardi, <laughs> like Vince Lombardi, yeah. the coach, you know. Yeah. And he goes, "It's Lombardo," and I said, "Oh, okay." And I said, "Well, I'm a singer, and I think that I could probably be in your band. I think I could do the job." And he said, "Cool. Where do you live?" And I said, "Buffalo." And he was like, "New York." And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "I'm in Los Angeles." And I said, "I know." And he said, yeah, call me when you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> so I watched the the, they, the, the, uh, the sentence played to maybe 50 people at this VFW hall that night. And I talked to Milo. And I said, hey, I, I called Tony Lombardi. And he's like, Lombardo. <laughs> and I said, I said, I, I uh, think I could sing for him. And he's like, well, you know, whatever. So then... Um, I'll tell you the whole story. So then I was living at home at my parents' house. I graduated from college. I worked in a well at the time I was I worked for my dad. He worked in the oil fields and I worked at a restaurant washing dishes. And I and uh and all I did was work, 
and then go out drinking and smoke a lot of weed and do nothing. And sometime, uh, and I had a this leather coat, one of those bomber jackets with the big pockets in the front, and I had an ounce of pot in my pocket, and my mother found it, and she and my dad. That's back when they were still married, and dad's passed since then. But anyway, they didn't get along real well. And so my dad, mom comes in. I'm sitting there watching TV, and she's got this bag of weed, and it was an ounce. It was, and a bunch of people had pitched in on it, and it was. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> but they'd given me money, and I bought it. You know how you used to yeah, do that. Yeah. And then I would, we'd all meet, and I'd give them some, and we'd figure it out. Right. Uh, and so she's got this weed that I, I didn't own, and she's like, "What is this?" And I said, it's pot, mom. And he, and she's like, you know, she got really mad. My mom is not, she's not okay with that. You know, she's yeah. not like a cool mom. She's not a cool mom. So she threw it on the ground and my dad was there and my dad was pissed. So she left. He looked at me and he goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, believe it or not, son, I, uh, I understand. And don't tell your mom I said that. But, he said, but you brought that into my house, and your mom lives here, and I don't need this shit. Yep. <laughs> but he was like, uh, you got to go. He said, you can't live here anymore. He goes, I can't. He said, I can't very well throw your mother out, so you got to go. And I said, okay. And he said, I'm going to give you a couple weeks to figure out what the fuck you're doing, and then, then you know. We'll figure it out from there, but you got to figure it out. So he left, and mom, I remember the, she threw the weed on the ground, and I was staring at it the whole time because <laughs> it wasn't mine. Right. Like, You're going to flush it down the toilet. She was so pissed she forgot about it. They both did. So I picked it up and I divvied it out so I didn't get, I didn't lose. But anyway, so a couple weeks go by. Dad comes in like he, like I said, he worked in the oil field. He's all covered with mud and he's tired and shit. And I'm sitting on his couch with my feet on his coffee table, watching his TV, eating his Doritos, like the full <laughs> nine yards. And he looks at me and he was like, "Did you figure out what you're gonna do yet?" And I said, and this was after I spoke to Tony. I said, uh, "Yeah, I did." And he goes, "Okay, where are you gonna go?" And I said, "Los Angeles. I'm gonna go to Los Angeles, California." I said, I, there's a band out there I want to find, and uh, I'm going to go out there. And he goes, oh, my God. I thought you were going to say Water Street, which is just like right up the street. And <laughs> so he's like, okay, well, I'll give you two months to figure it out, get, earn some money, get a car, whatever the fuck you got to do. A couple of months, and then you're out. So the, that's what I did. A couple of months I worked. I washed pots and pans and dishes at one place. I washed dishes at two different places. I worked for my father and I was an art major and I did like a little bit of graphic arts for this thing. And I saved up money and I left. I just got in my car and I drove to LA. I ended up living in Hollywood because uh, I didn't know Los Angeles at all. Right. And Hollywood, like the Descendants guys and stuff were out in the South Bay. So they were out like Redondo Beach. And I lived in Hollywood, which is very very far east from that and in los angeles far is like really far because of traffic and shit 
Yeah, so I, I called Tony, and I was like, hey, uh, remember me? And he's like, yeah, the guy from Buffalo. And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, what's up? And I said, I live in Hollywood. And he's like, well, you're here? And I said, yeah. So went out and tried out for his band and got in it. Uh, and that was Boxer Rebellion. And then Boxer Rebellion, we practiced. We learned about 13 or 14 songs and then went on a brief tour with opening for the descendants on the fine all tour that's uh stefan and carl's first tour yep and we got as far as uh dallas and all boxer rebellion did was fight and we weren't <laughs> we weren't in a van we were in a car we were in my car that i bought from my grandma and they i didn't fight they fought and i was fucking <laughs> who who's yeah. they who who was in the band besides tony and you tony Chris Potato, I uh, can't think of Chris. You know, I don't really remember who was in it. I, re- I can picture their faces, but I can't. Hmm. Shit, I'd have to look it up. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Uh, were you playing songs in Boxer Rebellion like Man of Steel or, or New Theme and stuff like that? We, we did Man of Steel. We did This Is Not A Dream. We did uh, pretty much the whole Tony Hall record, yep. honestly. Yep. Yeah, and then... Uh, yeah, so we got to Texas and we were at my sister's house and I tossed my car keys to him and I said, you know, fuck you guys. This is stupid. And I tossed on my car keys and I go, take my car back to L.A. because we'd have to drive from Texas. And I was like, I can't do this another fucking minute. Mm-hmm. So I tossed the keys and they drove back. And I remember I was out in the out in the driveway and I was working at I was working at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. That sounds like Warren Zevon's. Uh... <laughs> Desperados under the eaves. Really? Well, so that, yeah, I worked, isn't that the hotel he sings about in that song? I don't know, uh, but I. Uh, it's a very famous hotel. Mm-hmm. I have good stories about working there for the short time that I worked there, uh, but it's right across the street from the Chinese theater and all that shit. So it's right there, and I quit that job because I said I got a, a tour to go on. Will I be able to keep my job? And they said no. And then I said, okay. I was like, okay, well then, fuck you, and I left. You know. And so I was living in, or I was in, uh, in 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 Dallas, actually Denton, Texas, at my sister's house. My band drove away in my car, uh, and the Descendants were leaving to finish the tour. And I just was so bummed out that I just started bawling, and they all like freaked out, like, "What the fuck's up with him?" And I remember Bill, who I hadn't spoken to at all. I, I, he was. He was different back then, and we weren't super close. Uh, he jumps out of the car and gave me this, this big hug, and he was like, "He was like, wow, this guy, this guy's hardcore about this, right?" Uh, so I lost my job. I went back and I got a job. I didn't know what to do. That was the other thing. It's like they they were leaving. The trip was over. I was no longer on tour with the Descendants playing punk rock shows. It grange halls and shit because i mean we played the tops 200 people and some nights five you know and to me it was like the world it was so exciting and it's exactly what i wanted out of life and then on top of it i had lost my job and i had a year lease on an apartment in hollywood and i was like what the fuck am i gonna do so i just fell apart and talking to my sister and we were She's like, well, you can stay here. And I was like, here? Fuck that. I'm not doing that. So I 
I don't even remember how I got back. I must have got a plane ticket or something. But I went back and uh, I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car doing auto maintenance, just like oil changes and washing them and keeping the parking lot. And it was a cool job. I really liked it. It was behind Capitol Records. So like a lot of stars would come in that was and it was funny to me like oh my god look at that so and so but anyway uh my lease came up on my apartment so i've been there a year and i didn't have anywhere to live and i didn't know what to do so i drove out to the descendants place because by then i was in three-car pileup hmm. which blanche moran monica moran she played bass for that and she was like this the descendants secretary like she worked at their little office and and she's like hey your band didn't work out with tony you want to be in my band and i was like yes so we did a band together <laughs> and, I, and i would drive out there every night from hollywood which was a really long drive and then drive back and then i work all day and then drive but i i was hardcore i i only thing i've ever wanted to do is be in, in a band mm -hmm. so um is this boring? No, no, this is awesome. So you're okay. this this is uh like out in Lamita that you're driving yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, Lamita. Yeah. I say Redondo because it's it's closest thing anybody knows of, you know. Yeah. Uh so yeah, my lease was up and I was in this band and it was out there and I uh I just I just drove out there and parked my car in their parking lot. And I got a job moving furniture at Redondo Van and Storage. I drove a moving truck and all this shit. And at the end of the day, I would go back and practice with three-car pileup in the Descendants practice room and sleep in my car out in their parking lot. It was sort of dangerous because the cops were really shitty out there on, on Pacific Coast Highway. They like to roust every. They like to roust the harmless people and they were afraid of the gang people. So right. like we catch a bunch of shit. So that was not fun. And, uh, remember Bill came out one night cause I would, I would take all my dirty clothes and stuff and I put them in the back seat. I put them down in the, you know, there's the seat and then there's the little area where you put your feet and stuff. What I don't know you yep. call that. And I fill that full of dirty clothes <laughs> and then pull a sheet over it and make a big mattress and I'd sleep in there. And it was pretty awful. And then I wake up in the morning and I didn't have a shower. So I would go and do a shower in the sink at the at Redondo Van Storage and wash my armpits and then move furniture and come back. And one day there was a knock on my window and it was Bill. And he's like, hey, man, you know what? You should come sleep in the office. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, thank you very much. And I went in and, and we, I, I knew them all by then because I had toured and I was – in Monica's band and stuff. And so I went and I slept in the office with Frank Nevetta. He was in town. Hmm. He moved back. And Frank and I became pretty close. And he joined Three Car Pileup for a little while. Oh. Uh, yeah, but he, he I had to kick him out, which was really awful. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he would because <laughs> he wouldn't learn the songs. He he <laughs> he would just play he would play the worst shit, and he was the best. Guitar. He was my favorite guitar player, and he would play terrible parts that had nothing to do with it. And it got really bad. And and Blanche, Monica, Blanche was like, "We got to do something." And so I had to kick him out. And it was, <laughs> but anyway, 
So I lived in the office, and Frank, Frank would just keep me up all night telling these stories and stuff. And Mike Alvarez, Carl's brother, lived there, and so it was terrible. So I just went back out to my car. <laughs> You know, for a few weeks and then all of a sudden bill's like knocking on the window again and i'm like no nah, this is cool i'll just i'll just stay here and then we got a practice space like it was a little office area there right. were offices and yep. so the descendants had a, had an office and then there were two spaces one space that was empty and then another office where they had built this carpet cave where Carl and Stefan and not Milo. Milo lived at home. They slept behind the, in this little area behind, you know, when you make a carpet cave, you make a box in the middle of the room so that there's airspace all the way around it. Mm -hmm. You don't soundproof the walls. You soundproof a frame. So behind the frame, behind eight layers of carpet and two doors that swung in and had like five layers of carpet a piece, there were, there was a space with a bathroom and bunks. It was fucking horrible. There was no light, no air, no nothing. And they would sleep back there. So that's where they lived. But anyway, we took one of the office spaces and built our own carpet cave. Three car pileup did. So then I lived there. And uh, I slept in an area that was similar to what they had, but our carpet cave wasn't nearly as good as theirs. And I kept the doors open and it was just like, it wasn't as scary. I, I, you know, and I didn't have a, anywhere to sleep. So I, I was, I, I stole some moving pads from work and I sleep on the moving pads back by the bathroom. And then one day at work, uh, there was the, you know, the customers would put stuff out by the road to throw away or whatever. And they put a, a little kid's bed out, a little tiny bed. And I'm not a very big guy. I'm like five feet six. And back then I was thinner. And I was like, hey, what are you doing with that bed? And she's like, well, I'm getting rid of it. And I said, she's like, why do you want it? And I said, yeah, I want that. She said, okay. So I put it in the truck and I drove by the office and got it off the truck and put it in my thing. And, I, and there was a little space, you know, like I said, you build a carpet cave. Then there was a bathroom and there was a little space between the carpet cave and the bathroom and it fit right in there. <laughs> That's where I slept. And then in the front, I had a like, the box was here, and then there was the front door was over here with these windows. And I had one of those little sand chairs, you know, beach chairs, yeah. the little short ones that you sit in the sand. Yeah. Had one of those and a black and white TV that my Aunt Betty gave me because I helped her uh, move a bunch of shit out of her garage. So she gave me this little TV. So I had this TV and my little sand chair, and I would sit in the front of the place and then – Bands would come practice there that, uh, you know, we'd rent it. Yeah. Everyone's like Jack Brewer from uh, Saccharin Trust. Yeah. He had a Jack Brewer band. And so they'd come, and I thought they were great. Richie Ford was in the band, and Joe Biza would come by and play with them sometimes and shit. So, like, all these people who are my heroes are playing there, and me and Jack would sit around after, and I'd get really drunk. And it was, like, a really fun time to be a mm -hmm a person you know doing and then i get up in the morning and move furniture and and then uh then milo quit i knew milo quit because it was the final fine final tour yeah 
So Milo had quit. Smalley had come in. Uh, and he was singing and, you know, they, they were doing, they, they were doing these, this tour. Remember one of the tours they did, the van was broken down. So they rented a fucking, what do you call it? Like a lot of U-Haul. What's the other, uh, the like other one? Enterprise or something? A rider, rider, rider truck. Yeah. Yeah. A box truck, you know, with the doorway that goes into the front. Yeah. So they built stacks in that and put equipment in and they slept in that box truck <laughs> with no windows and shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and on top of that, Smalley was like living a life. He had a life. And then Bill called up and said, you want to be our singer? And he is like, okay, yeah, I won't have a life. I'll go be their singer, you know? Yeah. And, and so he went out there and I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but it was be between living in that box truck and being on tour all the time. He was like, you know, fuck this. I don't want to do this. Right. Yeah. And me, I was living like a filthy animal in my car or behind that practice space. And I wasn't playing shows, you know? So he, he, he so for me, being on tour was better than the way I was living. Yeah. You know, he, he got pulled out of a real life and I didn't have a life. So for me, I was built, I was built for it, you know? So yeah, that's, he quit. And he, I remember before he left, he said to me, uh, when I get back, or I'm quitting and you're going to be the new singer. I know you are. Hmm. And, I, and I said, no, I'm not. Cause I wasn't going to sing for all, even if I got asked, cause I was working on this other band and I have nothing if I'm not loyal. So I was like, even if they ask me, I'm not doing it because I can't let these guys down. We practice so hard and we've done all this stuff. And so I was working. Should I keep going? Yeah. Yeah. So what, who convinced you? I'm assuming it was Bill. Well, <laughs> no, well, sort of, sort of. So, Bill recorded Three Car Pileup. Mm. Did it? Did uh, that ever come out? Nah, I don't no. think so. It wasn't. It was. I don't think so. But anyway, so the three songs that I did on, that I wrote for, uh, what's the first one? Always Revenge. Revenge, the yep. purple one. Yep. Um, those were all Three Car Pileup songs because those were the only songs I had. And I, uh, while, after he recorded it, I was sitting outside. I used to smoke back then. I remember I was having a cigarette, drinking a beer, sitting on this thing outside the practice. There was like a little wall between the parking lot. And, the, and I was sitting on it, and he came up to me, I remember. And he goes, who wrote Mary? And I said, I did. I wrote Mary. And I remember he went like this, just like this. If you know Bill, you can picture it. He went and walked away. And that's the last thing <laughs> he said about it. And I was like, well, that was weird, you know? Yeah. So then Smalley quit, like I said, and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be in all. And, uh, and I was a big Descendants guy. And, and, and like the first all records, I was, I was not convinced yet. You know, I was like, eh, it's fine, but it's not the Descendants, you know, just like fire hose ain't the minute man. You know what I mean? I was just like, nah. And then, um, but they could play really well, you know, better than anybody on earth. And so I was working in their office and the phone rang and it was Bill. And he goes, uh, Hey, uh, Smalley quit. Do you want to be our singer? And I said, I can't. He said, what do you mean? And he's, and I said, 
I, I can't. I have this other band and they're all counting on me and they're all my friends and I, I don't want to let them down. And, and he goes, no, wait a minute. <laughs> he goes, wait a minute. You live like, like you live like an animal. You, you live in this filthy situation. I used to have to go because they had a, they had a um, shower that they had installed in their office because they all lived around there. And I used to have to go and ask them with a towel and a toothbrush and stuff and go like, can I clean up? <laughs> like, that's how I was living, you know? Yeah. And he's like, you live like that? You sleep in your car? You, you, and he goes, tell me if I'm wrong. You came out here to tour and make records and play music and be a musician and i said yeah and he goes and we're going to come back and the first thing we're going to fucking do is record a record and then we're going to go on tour and i said yeah and he goes so what the fuck i don't get it and i was like you make fair points and then he said you know what i'll never forget this he probably has forgotten it he goes i'm going to call you tomorrow and i'm going to ask you again and then he goes and then i'm never going to ask again mm. so and he hung up and I called my grandma who has since passed. I, I called everybody I could think of. And pretty much everybody said the same thing. Bill said, like, what are you? I remember my grandma goes, who are they? And I said, they're the descendants. And she goes, and that's the band that you went out there to meet. And I said, yeah. And she said, and you want, they want you to be their singer. And I said, yeah. And she said, and you're not going to do it. <laughs> I'm so confused. So then Bill called the next day and I said, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And that's when, that's when I was in the band after that. I had to go break it to the three-car pileup guys. I cried. when I'm a crier. I cried when I told them because I felt so bad because we worked so hard. And well, I hope I they like, gave you a pass. They did, yeah. eventually. Blanche was kind of mad. but mm -hmm. I, It seems like that happened really fast. Like, it seems like they were back from tour with Dave and like they were playing shows with you. I think like still in the fall of 88, do you have any recollection of when you j actually joined the band? I don't, but I do remember, um, I remember Bill said, uh, Scott, Dave didn't feel, or we felt it was too much pressure or whatever. I mean, I'm sure Dave would dispute me this, but they were like, I don't think Dave is comfortable doing the Descendants songs or we didn't want to pressure him to fill those shoes or whatever. So we don't do them, but we'd like to. Hmm. Would you have any problem doing Descendants songs? And I was like, fuck no, I'll do whatever, man. So he came back immediately <clears throat> before the record was done. We started recording and playing shows. So I had to learn songs. And then the Descendants stuff, that was good because I didn't know the all stuff. I didn't listen to all. I didn't have a record player anymore. I lived. I had a little black and white TV in a sand chair. You know, mm -hmm. I had hardly any of it. But I knew the Descendants songs. So that gave us something we could play. And the first show that I played with the Descendants was at the Music Machine on Pico. I think we played with the Nip Drivers, and I think we played with um, Celebrity Skin. Don mm -hmm. Bowles, mm -hmm. no, from, yep. from, from the Germs, played drums, and 
And believe it or not, we were headlining. And at this place, there was a um. So this 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 goes to what you were saying about it happened real quick. At this place, there was a movie screen that came down in front of the stage. You know, mm -hmm. they put it down when they did the changeover, and it was a, a fairly large stage for from the you know what I was used to. It was a pretty decent crowd. There was a few hundred people there, and this thing's down, and they're setting up the drums and all of that. And then the thing goes up, and I was standing there, right? And everybody was like, what the fuck? Who's that? Right? And I remember the first thing I said in a microphone as the singer of all was, I go, yeah, I don't know you guys either. <laughs> the first thing I said. And then then – the first song was was um, Mayage. And I remember uh, standing there and I'm looking out going, wait a minute. Because it all happened so fast and I had I had no time to mentally adjust to the idea that I was, in a sense, taking Milo's job. Mm -hmm. And Milo was, like one, was one of my favorite singers and one of my punk rock idols, you know, uh, and all of a sudden, like, I'm doing that. And I was just as not convinced as everyone in the audience that I should fucking be there, you know? So he started, da -da 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 -da. and I just stood there going, I need to leave. And <laughs> it took every ounce of energy for me to start, even start singing. I My heart started racing, and I was going, and I looked back, and Bill's doing that. <laughs> I was like, and I just was like, this is this is stupid. I should go. I should turn around and go, Bill, this has been fun. And I'm going back to Buffalo, you know, uh, it was terrifying, but I didn't, I, I, I did the whole set. And yeah. I don't think I did a very good job. I think I was too nervous, but, uh, yeah, that's when it started. Okay. <laughs> do you remember recording always revenge? Like, do oh, you yeah. remember the, remember the sessions? I do. I, I mean, I don't, I remember them vaguely. I remember. Yeah. The first song we did was crazy and crazy. That kind of song is, is right in my wheelhouse. I don't have any problems. That was nothing. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I can do this song. So I did crazy. Okay. And I remember doing it and people were going, you know, Bill was like, Hey, this is what we sound like now. I like this. This is good. Okay, cool. And then the next song was "She's My Ex," which, <laughs> I mean, I can I can sing, but it's it's probably not what I was used to at that time. But I, you know, I had my way of singing, and and that's when I realized what a pain in the ass Bill is. He's mm -hmm. just he's not so much anymore. He's he's a lot different now the way he records. But now, of course, that's working on my stuff. Back then, he was super picky. And the thing about it is, is that we were back then we were trying to have something good happen so that we didn't have to live like, you know, like bums anymore. And we were hoping maybe we could earn a little money. So he was looking at it like, man, we can make something good happen here. Cause back then that could happen. It was before the internet made every band ever obscure by having too many bands. Mm -hmm. Used to be, you could find bands you liked. And there was the CMJs, the college radio charts and all that. So it was like, let's try to make something substantially good here. And it, Bill thought she's my ex was, you know, 
and I thought it was too poppy for my taste. I was like, eh, I'll do it, but I don't know how I feel about it. But then the more I did it, I liked it, you know. And then I, I liked it quite a bit. Now I like it a lot, but at the time, I was, hmm. But anyway, that was hell yeah. because he, he kept stopping me, and he kept going. Bill does this, used to do this thing where you'd be singing, and he would just stop it, and they go, whoa. And you'd be right in the middle of singing, and you'd be like, ah! and he'd go, you're flat. And he'd go back, and he's like, okay, now you're sharp. And it was just hell to get a take that he liked. And we got through it, and then he made me double it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. We doubled the whole thing. I mean, for, for people who don't know what doubling is, yeah. that's singing the part again. But like Led Zeppelin, when they double it, they let you know it's doubled. You can hear yep. clearly hear two Robert Plants. They're not, but when Bill would double it, he, it had to be exactly like you had just done it. Mm-hmm. Since he was fucking with me the whole time, I didn't re- remember the like what cadence he came up with. You know, right. so it was just hell, and I wanted to quit. And then I remember I went home for Christmas. That was the first time I'd been home in a year after we recorded those two songs. And then we came back. He goes, yeah, go home for Christmas because uh, we're going to record all the instruments and stuff. And when you get back, we'll we'll begin in earnest to get this record in the, in the bag. Mm-hmm. And then I remember Mary. I wrote Mary, and he Bill wanted Mary. That's one of the reasons he wanted me to sing. When we did Mary um, – Bill couldn't figure out what to do with the drums ever. He was like, he's putting all this shit in there because it was such a slow, simplistic thing. Right. And so it was like pulling teeth. And then he came up with what he played and I really liked it. And then Stefan didn't know what to play because I wrote it on the bass. Cause I, at that point I hadn't really learned how to play guitar yet. Yeah. Well, you can tell cause it's like, there's, it's kind of like a bass-led song almost. And yeah, and 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 then when I remember when I was like they would they would Stefan and Bill would would work in the studio together with Richard who worked at Third Wave it was called and yep. I think it was in Hawthorne or it was somewhere out there. And they would do that all day and then I would run around running errands with bug face or whatever. And then they would call me over every once in a while to hear a mix of one of my songs or back then you had, it was all analog. So you had to run a mix with like five people standing at the board because none of it was automated. So you go, Hey, you know, measure 16, there's a bad note in there. You need to pull it down and push it back up. So you do these mixes. So I go do that. So I didn't really learn how to, produce records or anything in a studio like that what was my oh and so then when they were doing mary i came back and i and i was like man i'm not really digging the way mary's going it doesn't seem it seems like people don't get it and then stefan goes hey okay uh, i want you to hear what i came up with on the guitar part because it was driving him crazy just like the drums were with bill and i remember hearing that guitar part I had a Walkman and I, and I walked around the parking lot outside the studio and I listened to it and I came back in and I was like, that's fucking awesome. dude!" <laughs> and, he was, and I could tell he was really stoked too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your song box is that, that was one you played in three car pilot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
is that about living in a car? <laughs> it was about living in the in the practice space in this little box. Yeah. Being filthy and poor all the time, you know. <laughs> but it was like I'm living like this, but I'm okay with it because it's what I wanted to do. So, you know, mm-hmm. don't worry, mom, and everybody get off my back. I'm okay. Okay, you know? a, a song like "Scary Sad." Obviously, the lyrics are are super personal. <laughs> Did you ever have issues singing like super personal lyrics like that? Like, especially something about a real person that you didn't write? No, because. Uh, I mean, everybody lives all kinds of different situations, so you can kind of relate to anything and apply it to, you know, I like musicals a lot, like old musicals. I don't really like the new goofy shit, but I like stuff like My Fair Lady or whatever. And those are all people, they're story driven and, and you know, the actors and actresses come in and, and take a piece of themselves and put it into like whatever song they're singing, you know, and they go, mm-hmm. okay, this song is about this. I can relate to that if I think about this and the, so, you know, I, I guarantee you could sing that and go, yeah, I have I have life experiences that are a commentary on this exact feeling or, you know, they're there. So it wasn't a big deal. I was like, oh, you, 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 you had the struggle with with your girl who and it was really scary. And, yeah, I had the same thing with whatever or I can imagine what that would be like. So, no, it wasn't a big deal at all. If you can picture it, who's on the cover of the "She's My Ex" single? That's Serena. Okay, and she and was that was she was Bill's partner. He was everything. Yeah, she was all those songs. And she was Bill's partner at that time. Yeah, she would come on tour with us. She's a very good friend. She, she and Bugface and Mike the Pike were our road crew, and I was actually kind of closer friends with them than I was with my bandmates in a way because we just hung out all the damn time. We did, okay. especially Bug. Me and Bug were very close. We were good friends. And, you know, we stayed, if we stayed in, if we were in Europe, generally, either me and Bug or me and Stefan stayed in the same room. The reason me and Stefan is we both smoked back then. Mm. But, and Stefan I considered and considered a very good friend. Yep. Uh, but, but back then, me and Bug faced just tore it up every night so you hit the road like pretty much immediately after recording with chemical people seems like that was like just a warm-up for this insane tour that you were going to be doing once the album came out i guess i don't remember uh (laughs) we did so much touring with them and with uh, uh big drill car and with uh left insane was another band yep we played with chemical people a lot and and naz was you know he 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 lived his mom's place was in beverly hills and it was a really cool spot so we we were very close with his mom and his dogs and we were all it was a pretty close close-knit family and then the big drill car guys were they were from like costa mesa they were orange county kind of thing uh and yeah so we go over to naz's place and l7 would be there and we'd be having uh you know thanksgiving turkey with freaking red cross and stuff it was a really weird fun time to be to be me you know cool um tommy victor recorded your july 18th show at cbgb's um was that the only show that was recorded like besides bootlegs on the tour do you know for trailblazer yeah 
Yeah, that, I think that was it. Yeah, and I hated that record. Really? And I, to this day, I still can't listen. To oh it. wow! I'm, what what is it about it? My voice. Really? I was terrible. I think I think my performance is just awful. So Bill was like, "No, it's good," and I was like, "No, it's awful. It's mm-hmm. awful." And I asked him, "Please don't put it out. Can we try another recording?" He's like, "No," because no. So it it went out, and I was like, "Ah." Oh, it's like my favorite live album. I'm including probably Liveage in that even. Really? Yeah. So I, you know, I'll have to give it another listen, but I guarantee I'll start and just go no and turn it back off. I, I just, it's that's, hard. That's fair. Yeah. Listen to live. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so were you around when uh, Mike the Pike broke the trail Trailblazer? Did you see? I'm that? the one that. I was the one that saw it. I saw the. I'm the one that wrote the story on the thing. That's me. Okay. Yeah. So what happened? Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the big problems on tour uh, is there's never anywhere to go number two. Yep. You know, you know how clubs and shit are. CBGB, right? <laughs> CBGB was the worst because back then on the Bowery. Now the Bowery's you know been a bit uh, uh gentrified but back then it was just it was just bums and ncbgb down there you know yeah. i saw a car flip over and hit another car and roll over and and slide down the road and this homeless guy goes wild night in the city and that's all he <laughs> that's all he said but anyway so you know you're on the bowery and there's nowhere to take a dump you know yep. that happens all the time and so we were like, God, we need a toilet. We just need a toilet. If we could do a healthy number two, because we slept in the van or at somebody's house or whatever, so you'd drive eight hours, show up for sound check, and then go like, oh, crap, there's there's no. So we were playing this place in Connecticut. What's it called? The Anthrax. <laughs> Club Anthrax, yeah. 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 And, and Anthrax was a pretty cool place to play, but it was a shithole just mm-hmm. like everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, well, so our plan was because we always had a trailer, a U-Haul trailer or, or whatever, we would we would get a portable John. I'll get back to Club Anthrax in a minute. But we get a it, it was a folding thing. We saw it in a magazine, and it was called the Trailblazer, and it was like it had a bag that hung underneath it, and it was a, basically a toilet seat on, um. You know what? I don't know. You unfold it like a folding like table. A, yeah, yeah. And then, then there was a toilet seat on it, and it was made out of pretty flimsy pieces of, of aluminum legs. You know, like legs that are bent like this, and then two of them, and then they cross. Like a camping fold. chair or something. Yeah, and it yeah. goes like like this, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the toilet seat goes across here, and <laughs> so the the first time we used it, I remember we were in. I think Vancouver, we were in Canada, West Coast, Canada. Yep. And we were really excited. And Bugface is like, doing it, guys. I'm doing it. So you have to wait till you're loaded in so that the trailer is empty. Right. And then you go in the trailer and you sit on this thing and it's got a bag, these white bags that hang underneath it, and you shit in the bag. And in the trailer, you could close it and you're alone and it smells and shit, but nobody's going to come in and it's okay right what goes in there and i remember we're out there me and me and mike the pike i don't remember who else but it was definitely me and mike and i remember going you know how's it going bug and you'd hear him inside going 
dude, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> right. You know, we're like, oh, this is, this is so exciting. <laughs> we're so excited, you know. And, and I remember we waited and, and then the door opens and Bugface comes out. And he, and he holds up the bag and he shines his, his mag light through it. Yeah. And you can, see, like, the, you can see the shit and you can see the the toilet paper. And he's like, we're all like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and I remember we went to the door and there were, uh, there were bouncers checking girls' bags and Bug goes, check this bag. I remember that. <laughs> oh, but anyway, so. So we were pretty damned excited, you know, because we had this situation. So fast forward a few shows down the road, we're out of bags. Yeah. yeah. We didn't realize it until we got to Anthrax. Anthrax is this horrible. Oh, the bathroom was as bad as CBGB. It was just just awful. Yeah. And and Pike's like, man, I really got to take a dump. And he goes, and behind Anthrax, there was like, it's not really a landfill. I said it was a landfill on the liner notes, but it's, I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of junk and there's an old pond and, you know, and I remember there's an old piano that was all broken apart and you could go out there and bang on the strings and it would make these cool noises and shit. It was there for years. And so he goes, well, I'm going to go out back and I'm just going <laughs> to, and Mike had no shame. He wasn't, he wasn't like me. I, I would if I did that, I would have to find the deepest, darkest woods, you know. Right. And he's like, he'd do it in the middle of Central Park, you know. He wouldn't. So he goes out there, and he's on top of like this, this like <laughs> he's like on top of this hill. Mike weighed probably I don't know, two twenty, you know. He wasn't enormous, but he was big. Yeah. And he's sitting on this rickety fucking thing, and it wobbles, and he's on it, and. I come around and I come around. And I got somebody's camera. <laughs> back then, you had to have you know we didn't have phones. You had a camera, and I remember I was, I was behind this bulldozer and I I'm leaning out taking pictures, and I'm trying to get a picture, and I don't want him to know I'm there because he'll be bummed, you know. And he goes, "Who's there?" I'm like, "Fuck!" And I step out and I go, "Oh, it's me." And he goes, "I was trying to sneak a picture," and he goes, "Oh, stand over there," and so he's like. <laughs> He's got a cigarette and a magazine, and he's sitting on this toilet. And I, I took some pictures. I don't know whatever happened to those. And then I turn around to leave, and I go, dude, somebody's fishing over there. And nobody was fishing. Right. And he turns, and when he turns, the whole thing gets kind of jacked and twists. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like like his butt's in the hole, and it turns, and it, and it just goes, <laughs> just smash. <laughs> And he was sitting with his legs straight out, you know, like yeah. on the ground. And he's like, whoa. And I just fucking fell on the ground laughing. I was laughing so hard. And and he'd already taken the yep. shit. There was a, a relatively large pile below the seat. So he stands up. And he turns around and he goes, he goes, did I get any on me? That's how my... Did we get any on me? And dude, there was a pie on his ass. It was like this big around. It was probably that thick. It was like the grossest. And I start gagging. You know how you gag? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> laughing at the same time. I'm like, dude, it's all over you. 
And I remember, you remember the band, there's a band called G Wiz. Do you remember G Wiz? Anyway, no, no, I don't. They're from Arizona. Okay. Not really. And he had a G Wiz shirt on. I remember that. And he, because he had like a couple of napkins to wipe his butt with. Yeah. And he had four pounds of shit and gravel stuck to his ass. And it just, that wasn't going to work. So he took his shirt off and, and wiped it off and used his shirt to clean his ass. And it was so freaking funny that, that, uh, I just, and I remember that night during the show, I would think about it and start laughing. Like right in the middle of like scary sad, I would just start laughing. And I would look at Bill and Bill was like dead serious back then. He was like, you got to get it together. And it's like, dude, I can't, you know, we would drive a week after that. I start thinking about it. And we're all like seven of us in a van. And I start laughing when I starting to go to sleep. And I hear Bug, or I hear Mike go, Fuck you! <laughs> it was the greatest almost, thing. Uh, almost worth lo- losing the trailblazer over. Oh, definitely. But the thing about it was, I was the only one that got to see it yeah. happen. If everybody had gotten to see it, it would have been, you know. Yeah. And we never replaced it. Weird. Like if we would have thought, we probably could have gotten a welder to build us a fucking serious one, you know. Yeah. Yeah. With a light attached to it, and the, you know, yep. but self-contained unit or something. Yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> okay, so you went to Europe in the fall and winter of 89. Had you been overseas before, or was this the first time? First time ever. It was amazing. Except for uh, we almost died because uh, all we did was party the whole time. And you can't sustain that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. You do, like, I would say 53 shows in 60 days. And all these different countries, so many countries, and then... Back then, there wasn't the euro, so every country had a different monetary system. Every few nights, you had, you know, different food that was good. Yep. Like, I don't know what to eat in Germany. And then the next day, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm in France. What the fuck do you eat in France? You know, yep. so you didn't know what to eat, didn't know how much anything cost. And in Europe, you know, like coins are worth money. <laughs> you know? yep. So you have handfuls of coins and you're like, I just throw it on the table and go. I don't know. And then they'd go in their hand. Could have ripped me off, you know? Yeah. And, I, and so it was it was fun, but it was because uh, we would tour a month, month and a half across the United States, get on a plane, go to Europe for 60 days, come back and tour back. I mean, like, it's not healthy to live like that. Not just physically, mentally. It's just insane. You know, you're just like, where am I? what's going on what's tonight but it was also really a lot of fun interesting to hear you say the band was partying a lot that's not something that you hear a lot about the descendants or all no and and the thing about it is bill wasn't partying at all mm-hmm. um i was i i was a, i liked to drink and i was a drunk and i i never i never drank to where it would affect a show or anything like that. But see, here's the thing in Europe, at least it was back then. So a lot of the shows were in a lot of the countries like Holland and stuff. uh, A lot of these clubs, they're squats and they're things. And uh, in a lot of places, the government subsidizes these clubs as an art form, you know, as an art thing. Uh, They're a lot more forward thinking. And so, uh, 
you know, you'd, you'd, you'd play somewhere. The way you could figure out where you're playing is you'd be driving through Berlin and you go, you know, where's a building that's all graffiti? You know, yeah. I mean, there's a bright colored graffiti building. You go, that's that's it for sure. You know, so with that situation, uh, you got paid okay, and there was always, always, always lots and lots of beer and or booze or whatever the hell you wanted because they had money to burn. You know, yeah. so you'd be like, "Can I get another Grolsch?" And they. <laughs> A whole thing full of them, you know, and a pop top. And then the other thing that was a problem is that they'd have the punk rock show. And then when the punk rock show was over, it would turn into the disco. Right. So it would go from like punk rock to, you know, and then all these hot chicks come out and they'd be dancing. And I was, and I would look around and I would be like, well, I was going to go back to the hotel, but I don't think so. Yeah. I think I'm going to stay at the disco. Next thing you know, it's five in the morning and you, drunk as shit wandering back you know to the to the whatever b&b we were staying in you know yeah so it got pretty intense so you come back and in march of 1990 you do all roy saves seems like um a lot of that must have been written on the road because like you toured pretty much non-stop you know i don't i don't know honestly i um so the stuff, the stuff, except for the songs that I wrote, except, what is it, Prison? That's on that, right? Yeah, Prison's yeah. one of yours, yeah. And prison I wrote on guitar. Mm -hmm. But, uh, what, uh, Cyclops and Crawdad, I wrote on piano. Mm. I'm assuming that I already had those. Ah, uh, okay. Because, yeah. And the all guys, I could write stuff on piano and they could play it because they're musicians, you know. Yeah. Do you think you ever had a conversation about the sound of All Roy Saves? Like it's a very different sounding record compared to. No. No. It was just these are the songs we have and. and... Nope. We just piled them up. Yeah. I think, though, I think, though, that the stuff that I wrote was so different from the stuff from before. Yeah. Because it was like my quirky, circusy piano stuff. So you throw that in there, you know, which wouldn't have been on the last one. And that's a few songs right there that you go, hey, what's going on here? That's weird. And then, you know, Stefan with his, his Mahavishnu Orchestra influence and all that, yeah. he comes up with a couple of weird ones. And then next thing you know, everybody's like, that's a weird record, you know? <laughs> and But it was not intentional. Mm-hmm. But maybe, the, uh, this is just speculation on my part, maybe like the heavy touring schedule contributed to the sound of the album in the sense that like, well, Scott has all these songs like that he wrote before he was even in the band. Like, let's use some yeah. of them. To yeah, no, that's definitely, definitely. It's really hard to write songs on the road. Yeah. You know? Like a song uh, like Frog is one of yours. When I listen to songs... Yeah, when I listen to a song like that or Prison, I hear like the Scott Reynolds sound. Like it, these songs could easily be on like Chihuahua and Buffalo to me. Yeah, um, no, nothing's changed as far as the songwriting yeah. goes. Yeah, well, you you know you have your signature style, right? But did they like all urize them? You know, you're talking about Stefan's guitar playing with they or or is oh. what I, what I'm hearing pretty much what you wrote? So the the so uh, let's see. 
um, Crawdad. Crawdad. That's right. Yeah, my left hand is what Carl played basically, and my right hand is what Stefan played no. basically. It's really there's there. If you look on YouTube, there's a video of me playing that song, even do the drum part and everything, and it's it's pretty much the same. On that, same thing with Cyclops. That's my left hand, and then the chords. So. No, it, it's pretty much exactly what I wrote. Would, but then, would would songs of yours get rejected by the band? Like this just doesn't work for all. No, 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 and that's the thing. When I so we, back then, one of the things I liked about all is that they were down for whatever. Like our favorite band was probably No Means No. Yeah. You know. Yep. And so it was like uh, you know, they were like uh, like we. In our minds, we were competing against No Means No as like, wow, check that shit out. It's Whoa. actually a, a good comparison that a lot of people wouldn't make because of, you mentioned Stefan's influences. Like some of this stuff that All was doing is borderline like prog punk almost. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and it's, and it's sort of all over the map. And the thing about it is, is some of it's really hard to play. Yeah. Like I listen to it and I go, yeah, I don't think any other band could really play that. You know, yeah. I want to listen to no means no. I go, I don't even know how anybody thinks that. That's yeah. just, just, so I'm sure that they didn't look at us that way, but we looked at them that way for sure. Like, yeah. man, look at those motherfuckers. That actually yeah. makes good sense. And I know like Stefan's like a big Voivod fan who I, I, yeah. I, I would actually compare them to no means no. And yeah, you know, very similar band. Right. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's in the same, like, uh, how the hell did you think of that? Yeah. Kind of a, you know, what, what planet are you from? And I really think that some of the all stuff bordered on that, you know, like, yeah. Okay. What do you know about the song Just Like Them? I don't know much about it. Uh, Bill goes, we're doing, a, we're doing a Milo song. And I said, cool. And then I sang it. So <laughs> I, that's about all I know. He thought we played it too fast. He just wrote it during that era, though, and gave it to the band? Or was it like an old Descendant yeah, no, song? No, it wasn't an old Descendant song. So, yeah, yeah no, he did write it later. Hmm. Uh, and it just came out of nowhere. Bill's like, I want to do a song Milo wrote. And I was like, okay. What do you remember about making the video for Simple Things? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, it was like we went there. So we were going to do a video for She's My Ex. Mm -hmm. First was coming out. That was like the big. Bill used to write a song and it was going to be this single, yep. period. And that's how it worked. Yep. And, and then we'd, we'd invest a lot of time and money into the song that was going to be the single. Because that's, you know, I mean, we were, you know, punk rock, but. Not necessarily. If somebody wanted to give us some money, we'd take it. You know, it wasn't like I don't have like a punk rock ethos really. I have a I have a punk rock to me is um is such an abstract concept, it's almost like religion. It's like you know, or I'm a Christian and I am anti abortion. Well, I'm a Christian and I am not, you know, like punk rock suits whomever. So yeah. for me, I didn't care if somebody wanted to pay us some damn money. I'd be all right with it as long as we didn't have to change ourselves. So that's the way we always thought. And we thought, like, She's My Ex 
hell, that could be on the damn radio. We don't have to be poor anymore. And so I remember we had a meeting with some some video guys because that was back when videos were a big friggin' deal. And let's do a video for Cheese Max. So we all met at like a IHOP or some stuff with these two kind of dorks from and not cool dorks, not good dorks, like fucking biz dorks. Yep. Super cool guys. And they wanted to do this video. And so we just start what do we call it? We call it the the mass input is what we call it. Because it was me, Bill, Stefan, and Carl, and these two dorks. And our minds just kept blowing blowing it up blow it up blow it up blow it up like yeah and then a spaceship we'll have a spaceship come in and sasquatch will jump off it on a jet ski you know like it's like rah, 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 and the guys are like writing stuff down and and going yeah these these freaking guys have no idea right yeah. like, first of all we were insane because we were we lived in a van and we were on top of each other and and so we were just all over the map and they were like Cool. Well, we'll talk to you later, and then they disappear. We never heard from them again because yeah. they're like that's ridiculous. So the way I understand it is, the same company that blew us off wanted to make it up to us, so they're going to do another one. Bill, Bill wrote the simple things for that same kind of thing. Is that on uh, saves? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so we 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 did this video out. Somewhere, somewhere in LA, and they came. These guys came up with a concept because we were like, "Ah, shit!" We tour all the time, and last time we had the, that the math. <laughs> so whatever, dudes. So we go out there, and they came up with that fucking video. And uh, you know, you've seen it. It's fuck. It's terrible, and it's it's it's. <laughs> It's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, there's but, worse from the era, for sure. Well, I, yeah, I know. But it's one of those ones where back when Beavis and Butthead was on, and yeah, they would be, yeah. you know, and they would do, they'd find some obscure video and just rip it to shreds. Did they take that one on? <laughs> I always expected to see yeah. it there. Just go, oh, no. But so, uh, yeah, so they had that girl doing that thing, and, the, and then they wanted, we had our shirts on and shit. <laughs> God. And so uh one time we were in Germany. We were and okay, you remember how green it was? Yep. Like the whole video yep. was green. I thought it was a green screen or something and then the, I want I want yeah. to have a contest now to have people do green screen sure. to it. For sure. It would be yeah. so fun. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> like dinosaurs and shit behind. But anyway, um it was too hot for American Hot meaning it would it would fuck up your TV set mm -hmm. like this it, it was too green. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. in the United States, by FCC standards or whatever, they couldn't play it. Oh, so we were like, Whew. so it never, never as far as you know, it never got played like on not in the United States, yeah. <clears throat> but in Europe once <clears throat> we were at a oh, I don't remember it was me and Bill were hanging out uh, and the the club. It was another one of the, you know, squat type kid, cool kid friendly graffiti type places in Europe. So it was attached to a um, art studio where they had a lot of bad art that people thought was cool. And uh, 
we're talking to these girls in the bar part, and I look up as Simple Things comes on the TV, and I go, Bill, and we, and we both took off. He's got. He's got to remember this. We took off into the art studio part because we're like. I can't be in the room with that. It's so embarrassing. It's so damned embarrassing because I guess it wasn't too hot there. I guess they didn't give a shit. Yeah. And so we hid from it. Yeah, we were in this thing and we hid from it until it was over. We could hear it. And then we went back into the thing. But, yeah. So that's the simple things. One. Yeah, well, at least you guys were, like, all jacked and stuff, right? No. <laughs> it looked ridiculous. And I remember that one jump. So I'm Because I jump. I used to jump a lot. When I'd sing, because I did couldn't think of anything else to do, so I go like, okay, I'll just jump, and then I'll fall down, and then I'll, you know, during guitar solos, I would just squat down and plug my ears and try to find my note, because singers always do stupid shit, like play air guitar with their, right, you know, and I was like, wow, fuck, so I just squat down, and one of the things was, okay, I'll jump, I can do some jumps, so then I remember they going, we saw the show last night, and you <laughs> you jump high, so jump. I'm jumping in the thing. It's just the dumbest video. It's so bad. Okay, so uh, New Girl Old Story, that was recorded during the same sessions. Did you that like was, That was recorded at West Beach. Is that what it's called? The, yeah. The bad, the bad Religion Guys place? Yeah, West Beach Recorders. Yeah, yeah West Beach yeah. is what it was called. So you, yeah. like, you did All Roy Saves and then you did New Girl or other way I around? Don't I don't remember. But they, it, it was like... Two, two separate sessions though yeah we weren't even in the same studio yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a totally different yeah uh, some of these songs that tony sings on it did he sing those did he sing in boxer rebellion or did you sing oh, those songs no i sang them all but bill's like yeah we're doing this record for tony and i said well i think he should sing some of them because uh they're his songs and i i personally didn't think i'd didn't think I was doing them justice. I didn't like the way I sounded. I thought I thought it would be cool if he sang them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what is the one song? Ah. Oh, fuck. Anyway, his voice just tears your heart out on that song. I think it's yeah. absolutely beautiful and earnest. And I was like, I don't know. I can do some of them, but I, I don't think it'll come out. I, I don't think I would like it as much. Mm-hmm. They were cool with it. Did you ever play any of the the Tony All songs in all, like live? I don't think so. No, no. I don't recall doing that. No, I don't think so. And no shows with Tony, like from no. this era. Wow! Hey, <laughs> so much in there, yeah. so much, and uh, I'm not sure I knew the story of how Scott moved out to join to join Tony Lombardo's band quite like that. Yeah. And and that Frank Nevetta was in three car pileup. Like I'm not sure I've I knew that in I, quite yeah. the way that Scott described it. So just it was a, a total mind blower. And to hear him talk about those what are for me legendary albums, legendary songs. Just amazing. Yeah, I again, yeah, I maybe knew that Frank Nevetta was in three car pileup, but I, I don't know that I knew that for sure. Very it blew my, it blew my mind when I heard it again. I was like, I totally forgot. That's for sure. Very similar story to Ed Crawford, actually just cold calling Tony Lombardi, uh, because he heard, 
Because he heard through the punk rock grapevine that he was looking for a singer, just like Ed from Ohio did when Camper Van Beethoven, I believe it was, told him Watt was playing again. Yeah. Yeah. I like this quote that he says, Dave Smalley got pulled out of a real life. I didn't have a life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, right? Because Dave was in, I think he was in Israel. Yeah. Studying. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this band G Wiz he mentions from oh, Arizona, yeah. totally. Yeah, Chandler to be exact. Uh, they were a cool new discovery for me. Sounds like you kn- you knew who they were, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not sure how I missed them. Definite all big drill drill car influence. Mm-hmm. Found some listings for shows with them. They definitely played with all at the Mason Jar in Phoenix. Uh, Boss Tunage released a comp called the Punk Singles Collection that has their 1990 debut. Eat It Eds on it and a bunch of singles. Eat It Eds came out on Tim Kerr Records in conjunction with Greg Sage's Zeno Records, which was pretty cool. Uh, Greg also did the cover art, actually, Greg Sage. It's really killer. There was a second album in 94 called Hook on local label Medical Records that I hope to track down. Looks like they reunited recently. There's a great two-song single up on a Bandcamp page, Mastered by Jason Livermore at The Blasting Room. G Wiz, that was a cool discovery for me. Yeah, I first found out about G Wiz actually on the Toxic Shock label split single series. There's a split by G Wiz and the Lonely Trojans mm-hmm. from 1989 on Toxic Shock on the it's one of the Noise from Nowhere series uh singles on mm-hmm. Toxic Shock. So check out that from G Wiz as well. Okay. How about this line, Ryan? In our minds, we were competing with no means no. <laughs> yeah. I know. Always love a no means no mention, but then you couldn't help yourself and had to go Voivod. Right? <laughs> but, I mean, like, we'll talk about it when we get into All Roy Saves. Scott said, you know, that's a weird album. That is a huge understatement. Yeah. <laughs> that is a crazy album. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. History lesson, part two. So are we going to go like literal, literal in order? We're starting with the She's My Ex single? Well, yeah. So we're going to have to go through these like at a at a really high level. We just can't do the detail we do when when we're doing like a single album on our on the main episodes, which is not to say that these albums don't deserve it, but we just... Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Of course not. And on the second episode, well, the second Scott Reynolds episode, we got to do some of his other bands and some solo stuff too. Yeah. So uh, this She's My Ex single, Cruise 5, it says on it, from the forthcoming album, All Roy's Revenge. So for sure, it came out a little before the album. And like Scott says in the interview, X is one of the first songs he did. And I think he said that the second, I think he said the single's B-side, Crazy, was the first one that he did. Yeah. So that makes kind of sense that these would have been done probably, well, I not probably. He said the, these were done in December. Then he went home for Christmas, and then he mm-hmm. came back and finished the album. So they sent these to the pressing plant, maybe yeah. over Christmas or something. Yeah. yeah, and crazy. The only other place that that exists really is on that all best of CD. It's actually the first. It's the lead off track mm-hmm. on this all best of record. Yeah. So recorded December nineteen eighty eight at Third Wave in Torrance, produced by Bill engineered by Richard Andrews, assisted by Stefan and James B. Mansfield, released on 12-inch EP, 10-inch on Black Wax, but also Green, 
later pressings in red, and it was also issued on CD in 1996. Everyone knows She's My Ex. I'd argue it's all's best-known song, uh, written by Bill. The B-side is an exclusive track, Carl, Carl's Crazy, and it's great, complete with an orgo fart even in it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the parent album, Cruise 6, All Roy's Revenge, I think it's safe to say is regarded by some anyways as their best album or a fan favorite. Uh, it's not my favorite, more for nostalgia reasons, but we'll get to that. It is probably their most consistent album, though, I would say. Yeah, yeah, maybe consistent. It's definitely, I think, one of the best or one of the most well-regarded. You're right on that because it just has hit after hit on it, really. Yeah. Same Sessions and Engineers is the single with Adrian Cook listed as, as an assistant also on the album. Released on CD, LP, cassette. The CD and cassette have two extra tracks. So, track one, side one. New theme. A classic all-instro written by former descendant Tony Lombardo. Track two. Fool. Written by Carl. I've always loved it. The head over heels banana peels lyric and the I would sing outside your window if I could only hold a tune. And then they'd do that intentional sour note. That's just classic Descendants and all. Yep. They're just in top form right off the bat on that song. Yeah. Track three, Check One by Bill. A wild, almost flag-esque ripper from Bill. More the type of thing you'd typically see from Stefan, although, you know, Bill did write Kids on Coffee. He's just usually more known for writing the super hooky Heartbreakers. Yeah. This is hardcore prog punk right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. Uh, speaking of hooky heartbreakers, the next go. song is Scary Sad, uh, written by Bill, a top 10 all song for me and probably yep. most listeners, one of yep. Bill's most intense and personal lyrics. Uh, Scott just sings the shit out of it. Um, yep. as usual, Carl's bass line is totally iconic. Yeah, actually, like when I was listening to it this week and, and I can't, I can't even guess how many times I've heard this song. At least hundreds, yep. at least hundreds. Yep. And, but again, listening to it with different ears on for the podcast, man, all four of them on tracks like this, it's just so perfect. It's yep. just tasty. Yep. All of the little flourishes from Stefan, Carl's just pumping bass. You're, and you, you're right, like Scott, just he can't sing a bad note, right? Yeah just amazing bill's drumming and they're just the the lyrics the song it's unbelievable even the way scott's voice almost breaks when he hits a, a high super high note um yeah you know it's just it's perfect uh the next one man of steel another tony lombardo track as you heard in the interview uh one that they did in boxer rebellion this is one that always takes me back it makes me think of trailblazer this song mm. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah. The next one is Box, uh, written by Scott. That jazzy middle section just gets me every time with Scott almost rapping over top. Yeah, Bill's the highlight for me on that track. The drumming is insane. Yeah. And then the end of side A is Copping Z, or sometimes on, I think on the CD it's listed as Copping Zs. Uh, music by Stefan, lyrics by Carl. 
what Scott calls uh, Stefan's King Crimson Mahavishnu Orchestra influences, I think is what he says. I just love when they do stuff like this. Uh, the Rise and Shine lyric, that's Serena, uh, a.k.a. Shreen, Bill's partner at the time, who I believe worked in various roles within the band's organization, like selling merch on tour. Yeah. The CD and cassette add on Charlie Ryan's rockabilly tune, Hot Rod Lincoln at this point, never really been my favorite kind of a skipper for me. Yep. I have the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm like, I usually skip past this one. Yeah. And I mean, you know what? It, that is the exception. That is the, the exception. It's too bad because, you know, everything else is so amazing on the record. Yeah. The next one is She's My Ex. This is the start of the B-side, written by Bill. I mean, there's really nothing to say about this song. It's not only one of the greatest songs Bill ever wrote. It's one of the best songs anyone has ever written, period. Um, the mm. ultimate breakup song, when it goes down to the bass in that final verse, and it like it's just bass and you know the guitar drops out, still get the feels after hearing this song a thousand times in the thirty-five plus years I've been listening to it. Yeah, the thing that always strikes me on this song is Stefan's tone on this song. You know, Stefan has got a tone. Yeah, and just those opening chords are so crazy. Well, a lot of it is his attack too. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? His right hand. Yeah, a lot of down yeah. down picking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, track two, side two, Bubblegum, written by Carl. Another cool prog punk riff fest. Yeah, this is, for me, definitely foreshadowing the saves record. Yeah. Then we've got Mary, written by Oof. Scott, the Scott Reynolds original that caught Bill's attention. I know a favorite for a lot of all fans. Oh yeah, uh, a, a bit of a deep cut maybe. Um, these brunt shows th up on his YouTube page that Scott does. I think he calls them. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see or something? Did, did you see him do this one? Yeah, yeah. There's a clip where he talks about writing this on Blanche's bass in the like in the three car pileup days. The guy's just a true artist, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, you say it a, a couple of times in the interview, but signature scott reynolds songs yeah for sure like yep. no one no one writes songs like that that are so unique kind of out there yeah. but also really catchy yeah what a interesting combo yep uh the next one is net lyrics by bill music by bill and stefan the longest song song on the album at four minutes a dark riffy kind of sludgy affair this would have worked on, say, Loose Nut, although Rollins wouldn't have been able to sing it like Scott, obviously, but he, he could have done it and, you know, it would have sounded different. But I can totally hear this as a as a more of a, a, a Black Flag song, more from the rock era of Black Flag. Like this to me and Copping Z, these are totally like Stefan songs from Descendants All. Yeah, kind of, kind of starting to so show some metal chops. But I love that they put stuff like that on there, you know. Yeah. Because it, it, they, I mean, they can't all be three-minute pop songs, right? No, no, no. Of course not. No. The next song is "No Traffic," written by Scott. His kind of slacker anthem that he talks about in the interview. Yeah, this one for me is kind of Dave Smalley-ish too. This mm. track. Yep. And then uh, the. 
the LP is over, the CD and cassette have Carnage written by Bill. I love this song. Oh yeah. It opens the Trailblazer album. I prefer that version, uh, but the studio version is great too. Yeah. What a crazy intro, hey? Yeah. It's like the song starts with a train wreck ending jazziness, and then it just goes into some amazing lyrics and pumping Carl Alvarez bass again. Awesome. And you know they had to have a song called Carnage at some point. Yes, of yeah. course. <laughs> different uh, art, different artwork on the LP jacket. The artwork's different. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... Like on the the CD, well, I, I didn't compare against the cassette. I don't have the cassette, but the uh, the CD is kind of boring. It's got Alroy on the front, right? Yeah. Then the back has got yep. this beat up note on the back. Yep. But that's not on the CD. Mm, okay. I thought you meant the cover art was different. No, no, cover art's the same. Yeah. LP's got different back. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, cover. I knew that. I, th I thought you meant the cover art. No, no. Drawn by Carl. Kind of a, a theme with Allroy later on where he's attacking a musical note. Uh, like you said, on the back, he's all bandaged and swollen. Uh, there's a lyric sheet and a merch catalog. You can order shirts direct from the band. Um, or thou shalt not partake of decaf bonus cups for $3 postage paid. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, what I wouldn't give to see one of those. Yeah. If there's a survivor out there, right? Yeah. Okay, then we've got Cruise 10 Trailblazer. Recorded, like I mentioned, July 18th, 1989 at CBGB's. Mixed September 11th, 12th, and 13th at Third Wave. Engineered by Tommy Victor of many bands, most known as the lead singer and guitarist for Prong. He worked as a sound tech at CBGB's for many years. I reference Mo Most known as the guy from Prong? For sure. No, man. He's the guy from later era Danzig albums. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With all the pinched harmonics. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so i referenced this in the interview but i love trailblazer the main descendants and all albums i had early on were enjoy liveage summary trailblazer and percolator later on um scott has the right to be hard on, on himself but he's great on this a lot of milo isms in the way he changes up the melodies and adds in lyrics mm. and little little things that you know, that I, I just love. Um, his voice just sounds so awesome when it breaks. He sings Smalley era material, like Skin Deep, just perfect. Yeah, like and it's perfectly. great. Perfectly, yeah. It's great, it's great. Yeah, I think he's got, like, new guy syndrome with this record, you know? Like, maybe, and, you know, you can, you can always be hard on yourself, but this is so early in his tenure with the band, kind of, Yeah, to be out and doing a live record like this. Well, his voice is maybe a little raw by that point in tour, but mm. like he he can have a, a bit of a raw voice because it suits his style, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, this album is pure nostalgia for me. It's high school every time I listen to it. 14 tracks, eight from Revenge, three from Says, and three from Prez. Yeah, and speaking of high school, the Trailblazer story, you finally got it, <laughs> hey? Yeah, well, you, you get a little bit of it in the... Uh, in the liners. In his Trailblazer R.I.P. Uh, write-up. I didn't know it was Scott that wrote that. It's hilarious. It's one of those things that for me, it's like, yeah, this is the culmination of the podcast for Brent. This is when he's <laughs> like, if I if I do this, 
I want to make sure I learn what the Trailblazer story is. Yeah. You've got Carl's depiction of the actual Trailblazer itself on the front cover with assistance from Scott Ratched Reynolds, as he's credited. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we're not going to do a track by track on that, I just have to give a special mention to Man of Steel. It's my highlight from the album. It's faster uh, than the studio version. Scott's vocals are just really, 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 really awesome. That's just a, a reference to to him in the song too, when he's going really, really real. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I like I like how it just shows as a live record how these guys can play these songs live and not miss a note. Yeah. Like look at uh, Skin Deep, a Dave song, but it's just crazy technical. And then they play it so fast and then you hear it live. Sheesh. Yeah. Okay. Cruise 11, All Roy Saves, 1990. Speaking of insane playing, yeah. this album's full of it. CD, LP, and cassette, Black, Yellow, and Green Wax, we haven't seen a lot of that actually on SST, but they're starting to pump it out during this Color, era. Colored vinyl? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the LP liner notes say something like, um, recorded a third wave in 200 hours. That's got kind of this ledger on the back, on the back cover. Uh, producing and engineering, Bill and Stefan. I'm sure no slight against Richard Andrews, but they've been kind of building up to doing everything themselves for, for quite a while now. Um, they do have a couple assistants. Eric Colvin is is listed, and Stu Cook is listed as Studio Overlord. Track one, side one, Educated Idiot, written by Carl. The opening track kind of tells you everything about this album. Probably uh, a grower for a lot of fans, this one. Definitely for me, I appreciate it a lot more now than I did when I was younger. Lots of proggy, discordant, uh, uh, dis diminished chords, weird time signatures, shifting tempos, shredding from Stefan like he does on this track. It's a super weird, super epic album. And it's one of the ones that I got with Revenge. Like these are, these are two of my first all records. And this was not as easy to get into, but it definitely grew. And it's a, it's a classic for me, this whole record. It has some of my favorite songs on it. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Just Like Them, written by Milo. So, Speak, I, Speaking of which. Yeah. So I asked Milo about this track, and he told me, I wrote it around the time I joined Milestone. So, yeah. So I taught it to them. Bill saw us perform it at the Anti-Club in LA and asked if all could cover it, and I agreed. Yeah, I've got that Milestone boot. Yeah. For All Roy Saves, they changed the arrangement from the Milestone version, making it too long, in my opinion. So when they re-recorded it for All's Best Of album and wanted me to sing it, I had them change the arrangement back to the Milestone version. You can hear the original on the Milestone CD, Here, There, and Nowhere, which came out in 1994 on Anaheim label Ecstatic Records. Milestone, of course, was the band Milo formed after he went to college in San Diego. Uh, the recordings are from a 1989 performance on KSDT Radio and a show in San Diego in 1993. Milestone was Milo, Bob Aland, Matt Crane, Chris Maggio, who we'll be seeing in part three. Little spoiler there. Um, and Jovi Butts. I know we've mentioned Jovi before. He's on that West Coast Modern Day Punk Rock Orchestra album with Matt Crane. 
but also Watt, Nels Klein, and Rick Froberg. I know you mentioned that release, mm-hmm. Ryan. That's mm-hmm. also on Elastic Records. He also has a band camp we've talked about before with some cool solo albums on it. Uh, but also his project circa 92 to 94 called Locomotive with Matt Crane again and ex-descendant spiffy swag guitarist Ray Cooper, uh, who's also credited with backing vocals. Um, Jovi Butts is on the She's My Ex B-side Crazy. So I, I was thinking about this, Ryan. All played at the Anti-Club a lot, but they played there December 16th, 1988, possibly with Milestone. While Crazy was being recorded, which is possibly how Jovi Butts ended up in the studio singing backing vocals on the Crazy track. Whoa, possibly. Because I found the poster for that anti-club show and it just says, plus special guests. Ah, well, Milestone would be a special guest. What do you think of that theory? Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds pretty theoretical. Yeah. Also, I'm sure everyone listening knows that the best of album that Milo is referencing, Ryan referenced it earlier. It's called Greatest Hits. Uh, It was released on Joe Young, Joe Carducci, and All's label owned and operated recordings in 1998 and again in 2006. 22 tracks selected by the fans, remixed at the Blasting Room, and there's a version of this song with Milo on vocals, and naturally it rules. Yeah. I love the Scott version, but this uh milo version is a very very close second yeah he milo actually like he he does the the kind of gruff screamy milo version for the second verse in this version of it that is just killer like it's it's a way of singing that milo can sing that scott does not on on the all version which i also love so it's like having two versions of one of the best songs of all time it's amazing yeah chad price can really really uh sing in that style oh yeah Yeah. for sure okay track three is prison written by scott scott's songs have this kind of bouncy feel to them it's kind of the best way i can describe them and this is a good example of what i would call the scott reynolds sound yeah, I the word I wrote right after the word prison in my notes is bouncy. Really? <laughs> right there. It's right there. I said it's a bouncy song due to Scott's style and Carl's bass. Yeah. Okay, just living. Lyrics by Bill and Scott, music by Stefan. Weird songwriting configuration. Melancholy. Uh, melancholy tune. Yeah. Not sure if there are um any others like that with lyrics by Bill and Scott and music by Stefan? It's kind of a dirge almost. The next one is Freaky, lyrics by Bug, music by All. It's nine seconds. Stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> Scott tells a hilarious story about this song, Freaky. And then we end side one with Frog, written by Scott. I can't remember if it's part one or part two of the interview where Scott talks about how he wrote this song. Uh, but if it's if it's not in this one, it's in part two, and it's super funny and impressive. Uh, and it's also a great song. Yeah, those are the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll change them. Nope, those are the lyrics. Okay, and... Similar to She's My Ex starting the B-side of Revenge, we've got a Bill classic starting the B-side of this record. Mm. Simple Things. As mentioned in the interview, there's a video for this one. 
I love it, and I love this song. If you listen closely, you can hear Bill, I think, on backing vocals in kind the of... The high part. Yeah. He's the high part, for yeah. sure. Um, liners cred, William A. Stevenson, Serena Matiucci, and Joel Nolte of The Last with backing vocals on hmm. this song. Yeah, right. The next one is Cyclops, written by Scott. It makes more sense when you learn it's written on piano and Carl is basically playing the left hand and Stefan the right. Yeah, a total Scott song. It's so jazzy. Yeah. So jazzy. The next one is Ratchet. Lyrics by Scott, music by Stefan. Very Flag-esque intro, like Bill Stevenson era Flag. The, the whole song is insane. These guys were unbelievably tight. I wonder like if this song ever got played live. Yeah, they could though. You know, yeah. you know that they could play this live and pull it off. Oh, for sure they could. Yeah. Um, Scott's rap about, anyways, I'm an actor. That part's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, track four, Some, written by Carl. Such an underrated songwriter. Well, I have right next to this song here, my notes are, this is an all-time classic Alvarez song. And this is a deep cut on the record that, like, I, I know that you can't make a single out of a song like this in the same way that you maybe could Simple Things. But, like, this song, just like them, even Educated Idiot, for me, they're, they are, like, classic all songs, so catchy. I love the way that this song kicks off. Yeah. With uh, the snare rolls and Scott's lyrics really, really fast, and then they just kick right in. So it's just an amazing song, man. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Carl has written some of the best songs in in Descendants and All, mm -hmm. for sure. The next one is Crawdad, written by Scott. Another he said that he wrote on piano. Um, yep. The part where he kind of duels with Stefan is, is super cool. Mm -hmm. And then the last song is Explorator, written by Bill. Perfect way to end the album. It's like, it's kind of an epic it is epic. I have that right here. Yeah. <laughs> I got, and it is, it is, it's an epic song to end it. Yeah. And for me again, very descendants, all album esque, this song again. Yep. Some pretty classic cover art from Carl. Uh, love the ledger with the liner notes and the, the expenses on the back. Yeah, and the white, white out. Yeah, the band listed as laborers getting $35 a week. I guess that's their $5 a day per diem on the road. Yeah. Ruth Stevenson listed as entry control. Pretty sure that's Bill's mom. Net worth? All. All. Yeah. It came with a lyric sheet. I, I mean, if it's been a while since you've heard this record, give it another spin. It, it's a good It's a good one. Oh, yeah. It shocks me how people don't have it in as high regard as the other all records. Yeah. But I think it is a bit of a dark horse of an all record. I do. Yeah. Last but not least for this episode, we'll talk about Cruise 16, the Tony All New Girl Old Story album. All songs written by Tony Lombardo. Tony plays bass on all tracks, sings lead vocals on five of the 12 songs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Released on CD, LP, and cassette. Bill on drums. Stefan guitar. Carl sings lead vocals on one song. Uh, of course, Carl is an amazing vocalist in his own right. Just, you know, 
handling most of the live backing vocals in Descendants and all, but check the Bad Yodelers album Early Years. Just amazing quasi-crossover with Carl on lead vocals. It rules so hard. Mm. Uh, Scott sings leads on five songs. Uh, it opens with an intro called Sunna Theme, a reference to the, to the intro theme that Tony wrote for the Grow Up album. Recorded at Third Wave and also at West Beach Recorders in Hollywood, which was established circa 85 by Brett Gurowitz and owned by Donald Cameron, who became a partner in 1988. Not sure we've seen it on the show before, but an insane number of great records have been recorded there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this is one of them. Supposedly, Bill owed Tony some money, so he suggest re suggested recording an album. According to Bill, some of the songs dealt with a relationship Tony had been in with a younger woman. Um, and when you kind of know that and listen to the lyrics, it, it a lot of them make sense. Mm. Bill, Here's Bill on the song Special to Me, the last song on the album. It's one of my all-time favorite songs of Tony's. He was so sad about all that with his younger girlfriend, and I swear nothing has ever been more heartfelt. I get teary just thinking about it. It's so positive and so negative. When it goes, I love you, even though I know that our love is taboo, it's like the saddest thing I've ever heard. But there really was a tremendous age difference. Remember, Tony was also much older than the, the rest of the guys in the yeah. band. Like he was 34 when he joined the Descendants and they were all in their mid-teens. I can't recall and I, and I didn't go back and listen, but I believe when we asked Philo Van Dyne uh, when he was on the show if some of these songs were played in he and Tony's post-Descendants pre-Boxer Rebellion band Nuclear Bob, I'm pretty sure he said yes. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, for me this album has always been about 50% good not yep. not essential it's interesting uh, some of the production choices are cool like last refuge and stuff like that almost a 60s doo-wop thing the best last, re last refuge is kind of sounds like the cure yeah almost a bit there but yeah. i'm exactly the same it's it's like on if i'm being completely like right up front about it I almost only like the Scott songs yeah. on this record. If I'm just cutting to the chase on it, some of the some of the other tracks are just okay. Some of the bass playing is a bit clunky it, in yeah. places. If I'm being honest, like it, it's really high in the mix, and it, dare I say it's out of tune, maybe at a few times. I don't know. It's just not. Yeah. It's not Tony. Yeah. Um. But don't don't get me wrong. This Tony All is not like a minute flag record there's no. still there's still some great stuff on this record it's just not when you listen to revenge and saves and then put on tony all it's not quite at that caliber for me with the exception of the scott songs yeah i mean it's worth owning just for telltale signs yeah and casual girl new girl old stories good at the party and i love guitar case is a deep cut yeah that's a great song um, not really much worth mentioning in terms of artwork. It's very simple. There's a dedication. Can you tell everyone who the album's dedicated to, Ryan, please? <laughs> you want me to read this name? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bohatai. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Makshrivorawan. I wonder if that's the much younger girl. Possibly. Yeah. Ryan, do you want to hit me with some dead wax on these albums? There is none. On any of them? Correct. Wow. 
not not the versions I have. I don't think I have original presses on any of these, but I have no dead wax. Okay, well that saved us some time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Hey, Ryan, are are we going to be able to do this ballot result? Oh, yes, we can. Ballot result. There are a lot to choose from, though. Are you like, are you sticking with your policy of just naming your pick? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's that's my policy. It seems to be. You're just very. You're always very kind of definitive. Well, I know. For me, it's either scary, sad, or some. These are those are my top two out of all of the releases we've covered. And look, I love just like them. I love. She's my ex. I love Mary, but it's mm-hmm. Scary Sad or Some would be my top two. I have Scary Sad, Man of Steel, live version, Mary, Carnage, Simple Things. I think we got to do She's My Ex. Look, we did Just Perfect for for Dave. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'll, look, I'm in. I'm in. But I, But I mean, if you want me to go with... Look, I used to make compilation tapes for my wife. Yeah. When when we were dating, okay? okay? Well, I hope you didn't put I, She's My Ex on there. I, d- I did not, but <laughs> but I definitely put some on there. Yeah. But uh, She's My Ex, perfect. Let's do it. Okay. Ryan, thanks to Milo for chipping in, and especially thanks to Scott for being so generous with his time. Stay tuned for the second part of our interview. Yeah, so cool. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant... It's one of your very, very first Descendants albums that you ever owned. It's SST 259, the Descendants Summary Compilation, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Chris Sherry on the show, and we get into all kinds of Descendants and all talk. Nice. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.